0: From Pernalulu, the Southern Highlands, or cruising the Coronation Islands, they're all up listening to Macca on a Sunday morning. They're putting a roof on Mawson's Hut. They're digging spuds, shaking nuts. Macquarie Islands are overrun with rear beds. Travelling salesmen, dreamers, drifters, in the cabs of big dirt shifters, they're dialing in
1: Australia.
2: And what's your recollection of your time at the Ballarat Orphanage?
1: I was 41 to 53, and I had two sisters who were there with me. I was very lucky I had my sisters. I still have them. We were very regimented. We did as we were told. We had certain hours to do school, work, darning the boys' socks, swimming, sport. We were very regimented, but that was how we learned to become good citizens. We didn't think too much about parents or anything like that you know we went off to church we we were sort of like normal children only lacking the love but a lot of children didn't get that in private homes anyway so I don't think we missed that too much but looking back we knew no difference we got on with it because a lot of people living in Ballarat now never knew that an orphanage existed in Victoria Street nothing there to show but after we get it sorted, witsy, there will be witsy, memories there that the public can the go and
0: see. As one way said, who shot the Elmina brothers? On Kilto Station, Roebuck Plains, through drought, bushfire, flooding rains, we celebrate Australia on a Sunday morning. My weekly fix, MACA, on a Sunday morning.
2: That was Joyce last week. and He had a lot of reaction to the story. Joyce at the Ballarat Orphanage. This from a lady who (laughs) prefers to remain anonymous. She says, I'm a late bloomer in terms of tuning into your program, Ian, but what I love about your work is that you raise topics that give me food for thought. A while back you read out a poem by Kate Llewellyn, which prompted me to revisit a couple of her books that I had in my house and had forgotten about. Thank you for that. This morning I heard a woman, Joyce talking about her experience of being brought up in the Ballarat Orphanage. What she said about having everything she needed except love really touched me, touched me too. I wasn't an orphan, says my correspondent, but spent time in a couple of different children's homes in Perth, so know what she was talking about. Joyce also made the point that many children don't have love, even in families. This is so true. What a lovely woman. It can be painful revisiting our past, but Joyce's attitude was absolutely wonderful. Uh, don't mention my name on air, I won't. <laughs> and thank you, says my correspondent. There you go. And number this morning, 1300 700 Give us a ring wherever you are. I love your company. And Rowan Goyne, who's our recreational historian on the program, says, Morning, Macar. I admire the majestic wedgie also. We were talking about wedgetail eagles. They're so wonderful. I love those birds of prey. And owls, they're birds of prey too I've recently seen a pair flying high in the thermals above Kipax ovals Which border the Brindabella National Park This Canberra way And one flew past at the head height of the Good Shepherd Lookout Overlooking the Murrumbidgee River and Molonglo Rivers That's ten minutes from my home in Evert, says Rowan What a lovely experience And sea eagles, aren't sea eagles majestic? You see them sometimes in the afternoon, they're floating They're floating on the air I love them Last week, Barry rang.
3: Hello, Maka. Barry Robinson. I just spoke to Lee to let her know that Ken Warby passed away.
2: His son is David. about to, or was about to, attack yeah. the water speed record again, wasn't he, down on, was it Blouring?
3: I was involved with the, the timing of the, his final rundown at Blouring, where he broke the world record for the second time. The record's 35 years old this year, and it's only been a couple of people had a go at it, and they both killed themselves attempting it, including the guy who held the record before Ken took it off him.
2: When he went to America, he designed those small concrete carriers. Yeah, That's yeah, where he made yeah. some money, didn't he?
3: He said he went to a party there once, and someone was wanted to do a small concrete job, and Ken said, well, I don't think he a a minicrete. They didn't know what he was talking about, so he didn't say any more. So he started up a business using minicrete Mini trucks.
2: Creed. What a great man, Ken Warby. Yeah. That was Barry last week who alerted me the fact I didn't know that Ken had passed away. And I went back immediately to one of our interviews when Ken was on the, on the banks of the lake. Have a listen.
4: I'm sitting beside the water a beautiful flowering dam. Crystal clear water, blue skies, a couple of clouds. Hanging over the mountains, and the water's a bit choppy at the moment. We're waiting for it to settle down a little bit, and then we're going to put the boat in and get David some seat time and work towards the big number.
2: Uh huh.
4: But this time we're we're, we're not shooting for an If we can get him up a, cu- a couple of hundred mile an hour and he gets comfortable with it, uh, then we'll go to the next step. But we're going to take it a step at a time. I want him to live.
2: Yes. Now, can you hold the world water speed record? Don't you?
4: Yeah, I've held it now forty years. We did it originally in '77, then I did a second run in '78, which is the current record, which is 511 kilometres.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, this is Ken Warby on the line, living legend. <laughs> Kenny, it was five. Was it 511 kilometres an hour? I think. Yeah, but well, sounds well, better in miles an hour to me, doesn't it?
4: Well, 317.6 mile an hour.
2: That's moving, mate. That's motoring, and you did that without airbags.
4: <laughs> yeah i didn't even have a seatbelt in the cockpit <laughs> but this this you know this is heaven here in blaring dam you know more australians should know about this place it's just absolutely gorgeous and you know we've we got mile after mile of crystal
2: water and you know this is heaven here no doubt about it it is ladies and gentlemen this is ken warby on the phone uh world record water speed record holder legend absolute <laughs> legend who spends much of his time in the united states went over there and made his uh made his mark and made his pile i with mini concrete trucks am i right ken
4: yeah well i actually went over there running jet propelled dragsters i had uh, Two jet dragsters, two jet funny cars, and a huge jet truck with a engine out of an F4 Phantom in it. And uh, we, we drag raced that over there. And, uh, now I've got some Australian circuit boats. Uh, my wife drives one, I drive one, and we've got a spare one for visiting Australians. But they're all big V8s and superchargers and get well over 100 mile an hour in them.
2: So, can you obviously, uh, when you speak so lovingly of a place like the Blaring Dam, and it is in the Tumut River, those sort of places in Australia, they're unique and wonderful places, aren't they?
4: Oh, mate, you know, this is heaven here. There's no doubt about it. It's it's a special place in the world. You know, it's God's country. God created a better place than this. He kept it a secret. We just flew in to keep an eye on young Dave, and we leave on the 31st to head back. Uh-huh. You know, I, I got a business to run,
2: uh, and is this the, still the cement trucks?
4: Yeah, we got the little mini mini concrete trucks. I got a fleet of those. Although our biggest problem at the moment is getting drivers. Nobody wants to work.
2: Really, in America, I thought I, I will, they say that about they say that about Australia. But is that the same over there too? It,
4: it's very much the same. Really is. You know, I'm running eight trucks normally, and I've got five drivers right now. You know, this country's got everything to offer, and people should grab it by the throat and run with it.
2: You camp down on the Blowering, are you? Yeah,
4: we're we're at Talbingo. We're we're at the caravan park there in Talbingo. We've got a hell of a crew of people that are here working with us because we have all the emergency services, the FES supply brigade, Maritimes here. Quite an entourage. A little different than when I did it, but, you know, this is the way it is. (laughs) All good fun, mate. Good on you, Ken. All right, mate. Take care. Hi,
5: good morning, Micah. It's Lynn here. I'm calling from Sheffield in Tasmania.
2: Hi, Lynn. How are you?
5: Yeah, very good. Thanks. That's all right. Um, yeah, you mentioned about talking about trains. Mm. I just want to say, Sheffield, uh, that's going to be a steam fest on the coming weekend from 11th of March to 13th of March.
2: Right. And what is it?
5: And the steam fest. Oh, steam it's fest? Basically Yes, it's going to uh, – this year's celebrations include uh, the year of the Tasmania steam rollers
2: uh-huh.
5: yep. and uh, 100 years of the bulldog uh, tra- tractors.
2: The bulldog trackers? S- tractors. tractors.
5: You tractors. Know the tractors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yep. Sorry, uh, my accent. No, you're yeah. right. So, so it's going to be a, a, a great thing uh, for the enthusiasts, uh, for the uh, all these um, you know, old industrial engineer machineries.
2: There you go. Well, that'll be good. Uh, that's next weekend, really, isn't
5: it? Yeah, eleventh of March. Yeah, oh, goes for three days. Steam. And of course, it's going to incorporate food and craft, uh, you know, stalls and that type of things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm excited about it, and I love Sheffield. Tell
2: me your it's story, a... Ling.
5: <laughs> okay. Oh well, I'm Chinese Australian. I live on Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. I, I love Tasmania. So this is my fourth road trip down to Tasmania, and I do a lot of hiking,s. Um, but Sheffield being the mural towns, it's just a um, wonderful little gem in um, in Tasmania. <laughs> um, yeah. Um. Not... I I had a great honour to meet a local leading artist. Julian Bale a uh, couple of days ago,
6: mm-hmm.
5: and uh, he gave me uh, basically a, a, a few, you know like a short uh, personal tour, which I appreciate a lot. In the last thirty years, uh, basically he completed about 130 murals right. in, in Sheffield and the surrounding area. I noticed there's one called Rain, Rain and Shine in Rioton. Yeah. You know, the, the, the next little town about uh, 13 k's away. So the the artists, they contrib- contribute so much to the local area and it's becoming oh, iconic uh, town.
2: Oh, that's the great thing, uh, Ling, uh, the great thing. You now, tell me, so you do a road trip. So you drive from the Gold Coast down to Tassie, what? T- uh, how many times have you done that?
5: Uh, this is my fourth time.
2: Wow. Well, that's a <laughs> and great... And there are
5: many more to come. <laughs>
2: That's a great trip. Tell me when you came to Australia and why.
5: Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, Australia. It's the best country to live on Earth, you know. And being Chinese, and I have the exposure when I was working for um, one of I don't know whether I should say it, but it's called Australia. Uh, Australia, yeah, you can yeah, mid nineties. Yeah. Um, and when the uh changed the government in mid nineties and. Uh, the budget card and things like that. I, I I was fortunate enough to come over to work. And so, yeah, and, and I've been here before. So I love the country and just feel right. Everything is perfect. I mean, nothing's perfect, but you know what I mean.
2: I do. I know, you know exactly what you mean.
5: Yeah, the, the, the country, the people... And you know, like Tasmania to me I haven't been to Western Australia, so I might be biased, but Tasmania is just full of full of the, the best in nature.
2: It's a lovely spot. It's a lovely spot. But um all of Australia, there's lots of nice places, but it's uh it's hit the spot with yearling and that's great.
5: Yeah, and I do hiking, it's just the best. I did last year, I went solo to do South Coast Trek, mm-hmm. six nine, seven days, and that was amazing. And then uh, Western Arthur Traverse and a whole lot of things, and, and I just did Mount Roland uh, yesterday, and... That's just amazing. You know, get to the nature, it's the best for human being, I think.
2: Yeah. My friend my uh friend who works on this program from time to time, Pete, he's going down to Tasmania. I think he's going to um uh, up in the mountains, he's going to hike. He likes hiking, and and especially in Tasmania, he goes down there all the time. And he's he's from Queensland too, so there you go. It's, uh...
5: Oh yeah, it, it, it's just a hot spot for for hiking. And I know Philip Clark, uh, the the Nine Life Philip Clark is also the enthusiast of hiking. He came down with his daughters over Christmas. that did a hiking, uh-huh. and I don't know which part they did, but he apparently he did South Coast trip, um, you know, either direction. You know, yeah. he either from Malaruka to Coca Cree or Coca Cree to Malaruka uh, and I go. think he, he has completed a couple of times at least.
2: Now Ling, uh, tell me this, what what do you do? What did you do for a living when you were working with OzTrade? What's your what's your skill?
5: Oh, that was a long time ago. Uh, you know, let by gong be by <laughs> <laughs> But
2: what well, well, what what was your training? What do you do? Or what do you what do Oh you...
5: okay yeah i did i I did a bit of study in China and then I was very fortunate to join Austria at that time and that was early nineties And we actually facilitate Australian exporters to China. Uh And I was uh, very fortunate to be in a position to promote Australian product to southeast part of China, basically opposite Taiwan. Uh And um, yeah, and you sort of uh, assist all the uh, exporters and you do market research. And, you know, you just try to... It was. Yeah. It was very fulfilling job. Yeah. And you also try to bring investment uh, over to Australia. You know, it's it's two ways of the uh, um, business direction. Yeah. Try to export Australian products. And at the time, Australian packaging and building education that were the, the uh, leading industry try to get into Chinese market,
6: there you
5: and go. in the meantime try to absorb and encourage Chinese uh, investment into Australia.
2: There you go. You've done a great job, and now you're enjoying life. Good on you, Ling. Great to talk to you.
5: Thank you very much. Pla- and enjoy Tasmania. I enjoy your program. Thank Keep you. up the good work. Thank, <laughs> thank you.
2: Thanks very much, Ling. Good on you.
7: Hello, Maka. How you going,
2: mate? Yeah, good. Thank
7: you. That's the right, way, mate. My name's Chris. You're... I'm uh, out the back of a town called Oakdale with a 20 kilo vest on and uh, just going for a wander.
2: <laughs> well, tell us why, Chris. Why have you got a 10, 20 kilo vest on,
7: mate? No, no great reason to be fair. I just, sorry, truck going boy. I just, uh, I just like pushing myself and getting out there and just having a look at things early in the morning.
2: Oh, it's nice to be out there. And So how far do you walk, Chris, and why? Are you a bit uh, overweight, or you like to be fit, or what?
7: <laughs> well, if you ask me 4 year old she's forever telling me I've got a fat gut, so I uh, I take that on board. But, mate, sometimes I'll get out 20 k's 20 away from home, depending. Mm. So I'll just keep on trekking, and I was just walking along this road out the back of Oakdale here, the old mine road, and... I just kept looking up at the old shoes hanging off the power line. Oh, right.
2: I just love seeing that. Yeah. That's a great trick, isn't it? A lot of people do that. You see them all over
7: the place. You do, mate. And I'm just like, I'm walking along here I'm going, I reckon some bugger stood there for about five, ten minutes trying to get it up there because
2: there's a serious height. Yes, I know. And it's also, you know, you can be lucky and or you can do it for, you know, twenty. not that I've done it. I've never done that, Chris, but... I can just imagine. It's all right, mate. You can (laughs) can let it slip. It's okay. So, Chris, what do you do for a living?
7: Mate, I'm a WHS and compliance manager for a builder. Uh So, one of those blokes everyone out on site sort of looks at and goes, Christ, here comes the safety fella. The safety fella. But but I'm a plumber by trade and driven Hmm. trucks. My dad's driven trucks his whole life. Dad died probably 12 years ago in a truck crash down near Batagini and down near Benella. All oh, right. So I've always uh, been in the industry. So yeah.
2: Well, Chrissy, uh, more power to you, but that's uh you must be really uh uh tired when you finish that, mate. A twenty kilo vest and walking that way, gee. What do you do that? Well,
7: you... You <laughs> Sorry, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I used to be I used to run. I'd run endurance events, so and I'd raise money. So I've raised over eleven grand for camp quality Come and on, um you. I think everyone just liked seeing me big ass out there. Sorry, (laughs) out there running around these uh, these trucks doing obstacles and everything. So yeah, well, good fun,
2: Chris. I can imagine it's nice and crisp out there this
7: morning. Oh, it's a of The sun's just coming up over the top of the the trees, so I'm sort of down in a valley and just walking up a hill. That's why I'm sort of puffing a bit. But um, you know, as you come up over the top, you sort of get kissed by the sun and. That's, that's the, my favourite time of the morning.
2: Good on you, Chris. Great to talk to you, mate. Thanks for your call. Good on you. Craig's in Avalon. Uh, morning, Craig.
8: Good morning, Macca. How are you?
2: Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. You phoned us last week from... Oh, uh, you were on your way, weren't you? You flew down to Avalon.
8: Yeah. Yep, yep. So I kept my promise. I, we had a chat and you suggested I call you on Sunday. So here we are. So Sunday. you and
2: some of your friends were all flew down and you were volunteering there to help out? How was it... That's how was it?
8: It's been a great week. Um, a lot of activity, and Melbourne really has shown up for this weekend. Um, they sold out yesterday, um, I reckon, eighty to 100,000 people here. Wow. We're expecting, it, yeah, expecting a similar amount today. Um, and as you've just done the weather briefing, I mean, it's been pretty good, really, for Avalon. Um, four seasons in a day, of course, but a lot of overcast, which has kept the heat out, Um but today is going to be hot. So anyone that's coming today you've definitely got to bring a hat, water, something to sit on if you can carry it, um, because I expect it to be very hot. Up to thirty-three here at Avalon today.
2: And Avalon, it's it's what commercial aircraft, military aircraft, all sorts of flying machines, and I suppose drones and everything's been on display.
8: Yeah, it's a celebration of aviation, really. Um, but there is a very strong uh, military presence here. So the United States has brought some. Very significant assets down, as has Singapore, Korea. Um, I don't want to offend by missing anyone. Malaysia, Japan. Um, the biggest machine here is the C5 Galaxy, which is a monster airplane. It's the blue blue whale of the um, of the air. Really, it can swallow just about anything. Um, it's a very impressive thing when you go up into the cockpit, when you're coming in to land, you're eight storeys off the ground when you touch down.
2: Wow. And how, how many, like, what, and that's propellers or jets or what?
8: There's uh, a lot of jet aircraft. So you've got your, Australia's Air Force is proudly on display. So the F-35 Lightning, um, uh, the new aircraft, they've got 60 of the 72 that they're taking delivery of are in service now. Hmm. Um, the Super Hornets, the F-18s, they're here. They're um, here. The Hercules, of course, um, our um, Globemaster as well, the C 17, um, our tankers, and there's a lot of helicopter assets as well. Um, and uh, the other really impressive machines that the Americans have got here the F 22 Raptor, you know, that's the um, most advanced fighter in the world, and it's the sharpest point of the spear globally. Um, that's been displayed, which is a real privilege they bring it down here. Um, the F the 15, which is uh, you know, the, the backbone of the United States Air Force is here and they've got um, F-16s here as well. So
2: do they so, fly them down or do they put them in the, uh, the C-5 or something like that?
8: Well, I think they fly most of it. I think the C-5 of those machines are used to bring all the supporting equipment and um, obviously any helicopters they bring in that way. I should mention a B-52 flew from somewhere else on the other side of the world yesterday and just flew over the air show and then returned to wherever it came from. <laughs> so that was quite quite incredible, really. So,
2: yeah, anyone who's interested in aviation should be there, I suppose.
8: Yeah. I um, mean, as, as you mentioned, jets and propellers, there's lots of um, GA aircraft here, which is where I'm involved. There's 160 aircraft on display in the general aviation area, um, and over 100 of those are departing tonight at the end of the air show. So at 5 o'clock, I'm very busy with the rest of the team. Yeah, so, I, and,
2: so propellers still have a place in aviation. I don't know everything's a jet now, but I, I suppose I mean the Hercules are still a great old work, workhorse, and they're they're still prop-driven, prop aren't they?
8: They are. They're turbine um, propellers, so they're a jet engine with a propeller stuck on the front of them, really. Mm. Um, and uh, so the Cessna Caravans in that space as well, which is a popular, um, you know, single-engine. The Pilatus PC12. As well, which is used for the raw flying doctors at air ambulance, um, they still use propellers, but they've got a jet engine that drives the propeller. so um that's where it's all going. You're right. Um, those turbine and, and jet engine um, uh, is the way it's going.
2: Well uh, there's something about seeing planes lift off, especially great big planes, and it's just amazing to watch it. you know I remember when I, the first time I saw a, a jumbo jet come into land. And I thought it was just sort of floating. It didn't seem to be moving at all because, you know, when you see a big plane like that for the first time, and that was probably, I don't know when that was, in the 70s, early 70s or something, it might have been the 60s. But, um, yeah, it's an, it's an amazing thing, isn't it, to see, um, uh, you know, and you think of Kingston Smith and you'd say, well, look, later on there's going to be people up there watching TV, drinking champagne and wandering, <laughs> wandering, yeah. wandering around. That's uh, it's quite amazing, Craig.
8: It is. It's pretty incredible. In 24 hours, you can be anywhere in the world and arrive comfortably. It's what used to take weeks and months.
2: Yeah, Craig. you keep in touch, and we'll see you. You live on the Gold Coast, is that right?
8: Yes, I do. So I'll be flying back tomorrow morning. Um, got the day allocated to get the airplane back to Queensland. So um, the five of us are all going. That that group that we talked about last Sunday, we're all going back in the morning.
2: And you stop on the way. You land somewhere and fuel up again. Yep. Do you?
8: Yeah, well, you need the fuel. It's also quite quite necessary to have a break, you might say. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, we're probably going to land at Orange again. Um, and a call out to a listener of yours, Maka, he has been listening to you all his life. His name's Owen. He came and found me at the air show. It's like a needle in a haystack. And he had to find me and tell me all about his father, flew with Jim Hoselton, and um, he watched me on one of the apps flying down from Queensland and you're um, all about my aeroplane and he knows all about you. So I'll call out to Owen. Good on you, Owen. Uh, Is... Yeah. And... Go on. Oh, and there's another chap, Barry. He, um, he's at the wings and wheels today. He came racing up and said, are you Craig? I said, uh, oh, depends. <laughs> are you the Craig that was on Macro? And I said, yeah, that's me. And he goes, Oh, I can ring my wife now. She told me to do one thing when I was down here is to find that Craig that was on Macca. So, <laughs> Craig, uh, what's
2: what's wings and wheels what's that
8: uh, they they're displaying um, a bunch of um, historic um, motor cars and interesting aeroplanes. it's the subsection of the of, a, of the um, site so that's down in the GA area as well um, and they've got some very loud motor cars there yeah.
2: so it'll be a, a, a big day again there today and warm I think
8: yep. I think it'll be, uh, if it hasn't sold out, it must be close. And um, I had a look this morning at the weather. Um, it could be as high as 33 degrees out here today. Wow. Um, and that's that's quite hot. Um, and there is a slim chance of thunderstorms late in the day. So as aviators, we're all watching with interest about that because um, there is a lot of aircraft that want to get out tonight.
2: Yeah. Good on you, Craig. Great to talk to you, mate. You keep in touch, as I said before.
8: Yeah. Great to chat, Macca, and thanks to your team. Good on Speak you. Soon. Bye.
2: Bye. Harry's in Tenderfield. Morning, Harry.
9: Morning, Macca. How are you going? Yeah, good. That's the shot, mate. It's beautiful weather in uh, Tenderfield this morning, Macca. Uh, just watching the sun come up now and uh, out walking my dog, Rolly. And uh, Macca, we uh, had a bit of rain during the week. We had 35 mil of rain on our place.
6: Mm-hmm.
9: Just uh, five k's east of uh, of uh, Tenderfield. So uh, it's pretty good, Macca. The uh, autumn's starting to burst through. And uh it's a it's a lovely morning on the, on the New England this morning.
2: Oh, isn't that nice? And so your first hint of autumn, is it really today or?
9: Yeah, it's the oh, last couple of days, macker, but yeah, first hint of autumn. It's uh the a bit of a nip in the air, which is uh which is nice of course, and a uh, bit of mist around, a bit of fog.
2: What sort of uh, dogs role are you, Harry?
9: Uh, he's a short haired uh Australian uh, sheepdog macker Is he? Yeah, he is, yes. Yeah, he's very. He's listening very attentively. He's, he's, he's wondering. He's wondering who I'm talking to.
2: <laughs> the um, I think the 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 uh, sheepdog trials are on in. Is it Mansfield, Kel? Um, next week. Is it next week? I'm not sure. Um, I I, I think it's the Australian, and it starts on the seventh. Yeah, uh, I think in, you might
9: be right, Macca. I think mm, you might be right. Yeah, so yeah. that that'll
2: be a big time down there. You should take Raleigh down and meet a few of his mates.
9: Oh, he's a bit lazy, maker. He's he's not the best sheepdog worker wise. He's a great he's a great companion.
2: Yeah, oh, but... he doesn't
9: like going to the paddock too much, maker. I don't know what's wrong with him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got an attitude, eh? <laughs> he's
9: got a, he's got a bit of an attitude. Yeah, but he's a, he's a lovely dog. He's
2: a lovely dog. No, so... he's,
9: he's great, mate. We 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 get around a bit, which is good.
2: Yeah. So yeah, maker. Are you um? You've got a farm, have you? Or Oh, just a little 14-acre
9: lot out at uh, just on the eastern side of T- Tenfield Maker, and uh, just enough. I might as well have might as well have a couple of hundred as had 14, but yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, we work looking after them, mate. But no, it's beautiful. No, we're we're very fortunate to uh, have uh, the little bit of land that we've got uh, up here in the New England. It's uh, just a wonderful place, Maker.
2: I know. Have you you've always lived there, Harry? Or? No, no, no. I come from Western Australia,
9: originally Maker. and uh, we moved here in the two, uh, 2000, mm. and um, yeah, we've been here ever since, and uh, just fell in love with the town, and uh, yeah, it's just a fantastic place, you know. And the whole New England, you know what it's like, Mackay. You've been here plenty of times, but it's uh, beautiful, uh, beautiful people, you know, and the communities, Glen Innes and Stanthorpe, and you know down Armidale, you know, it's all just you know deep water and all just wonderful communities. And it's and, very, uh, good,
2: very good for you. You know, they say walking is very good for you, and and walking out nature's the the thing. You know, in this world we live in now, which is very, whatever. Well, you know what it is. I won't yeah. try and describe the world we live in at the moment, but the natural world and your dog and things like that um, are the things that keep you um, keep you sane. I reckon.
9: They do keep you sane, Macca, and uh, you know, it's, uh, there's nothing nicer really to get out and uh, especially in the early morning and. Uh, and walk, and then in the evenings, and the storms come over, and they, you know, a bit of thunder and lightning, and they drop the rain, and you know, it freshens everything up. So it's it's really nice. Hey, Macca, we, uh, I just want to let you know we had uh, 800 cyclists riding in Tenderfield yesterday, <laughs> and uh, it's a, it's a big number, isn't it? Oh, so And and uh, they had three courses or four courses actually, Macca, ranging from just the little kids um, starting about age five riding with their mums and dads, and uh, range through to uh, three different levels, um, right up to a state level, 106 kilometres, 109 kilometres, I think it was, and uh, 56 and, uh, and 20 and 26 k. So um, second time this event's been held in Tenerfield, Macca. Is, 800, it, 800 cyclists.
2: Wow. Where, where were they from? From, from just yep, around the so area?
9: No, 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 no. From Queensland and uh, all through New South Wales, um, Coffs Harbour and uh, Armidale.
2: It's a bit like um, the the Great Victorian Bike Ride, by the sound of things. Although they get they get a lot more than that, I think.
9: Yeah, well, they do. But it's um, you know, this this is an event that sort of came together out of uh, out of COVID, really. The planning for it, and they held it first time last year and got six hundred cyclists. This year, eight hundred turned up, and uh, it's a huge event maker, a massive event for Tenderfield. And, um, and it was just wonderful. Most of them camped in the, in the showgrounds and big camping uh, uh, activity on the Friday night and then again last night. And, um, you know, it was it was just wonderful to see all these people in Tenderfield with all their bikes and all getting around in their lycra, mate, you know. Imagine <laughs> what that's like. Oh, that's the, BMI, the BMI of Tenderfield dropped drastically over the weekend, Macca. Yeah. <laughs> all these people in the place. But uh, <laughs> It was was a great event, It was wonderful to have all these people come, and you know, from Toowoomba and the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast. So, just came from everywhere. it's uh, a
2: lovely sight to see too. And uh, yeah, should be more of it, Harry. Listen, I'll, I'll I'll, next time I'm through Tenderfell, which will be sometime this year, I'll, I'll give you a call. We've got your number. We'll, uh, I'll come walking with you with. uh, the dog with attitude. Okay,
9: I'll tell you another thing, Macca. Just quietly, an old mate or an old uh, music acquaintance of yours, uh, up here, um, Pete Harris. Oh yeah, uh, he's doing he's doing some wonderful work up here with the youth of Tenterfield, Macca, and uh, he's he's on a one man crusade to get young people playing musical instruments, and he uh, he's has uh, got has he holds these little classes for them during the week. Um, we'll have to talk people. to him. I'll
2: have to talk to him. You'll have
9: to, you'll have, to have a yarn to him, mate. Yeah. It's a good thing. But also, just very quickly, if I could, Mac,
2: yeah.
9: uh, just to let you know uh, on the 13th of uh, March, we have our Bavarian brass band returning to Tenerfield. 31 musicians from Germany uh, holding a festival here in Tenerfield for, the, for that whole week, mate. And they haven't been out here since, uh, uh, since uh, 2019. But that's a big event, um, Australian uh, Bavarian Cultural Music Festival. Uh, lots of uh, music that week, and we wonderful musicians. Thirty-one of them coming all the way from uh, from uh, Bavaria, Germany. Yeah,
2: and, uh, I, I know, I know it very well. I went to a, a funeral of a friend of our family's, uh during the week, um, and he came yes. out to Australia from Germany when he was, I think, about nineteen or twenty. And um, he's lived here most of his life with his family, and he's got kids. So here yeah, we, we grew up with a lot of German people. I'd love. That. Is that the thirteenth of March? Did you say?
9: 13th of March through to the 19th of March,
2: mate. Oh, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll
9: it's come. A big event. Yeah, we'd love you to come, Go. Oh, fantastic, mate. mate. You might get a gig, you might get a gig, mate. Yeah, well, I got up, the, up the trombone.
2: You got I said, the trombone, mate. I got but the trombone, which goes well because my dad used to play uh, the trombone and they uh, he got corralled into uh, the German club in Sydney, and so he used to go and play all that papa music. Uh, at the German club, um, and he was a great hit, and he used to wear leder, lederhosen and all that sort of stuff, but he had terrible yep. legs too. Um, <laughs> but he still wore the lederhosen. Harry, I've got to go. Lovely to talk to you, mate. I'll see you soon.
9: Good on you, Macca. Thanks, mate. Talk see to you. us soon. Cheers Bye.
2: Bye. Francis is in Adelaide. Morning, Francis.
10: Good morning, Macca. How are you? You're good, thank you. Good. I used to line up to see you at uh, the ABC shop at Tea Tree Plaza.
2: Oh, don't you miss the ABC shop? I do. I
10: do, I do, and all the fun that used to go on there. Yeah. But I'm I'm ringing about International Women's Day with a really crazy link to the Avalon Air, Avalon Air Show. Tell us. Well, an Adelaide woman called Muriel Matters was the first woman to speak in the House of Commons, and uh, not long after that she hired an airship to float over the King's procession to open Parliament and threw pamphlets from the sky. So it was the first aerial procession uh, sorry aerial uh, protest, and the Muriel Matter Society is having an exhibition of its own in Adelaide on early ballooning and balloon protests
2: um, when 's that
10: it 'll be in, in march it 's on the history uh, it 'll be on the History Month website when we 've sorted out the dates, but it goes way back to the first airships and wow. the Spencer family who uh, flew Muriel over London. Air travel in those days was very precarious. Mm. You you rarely landed where you took off. (laughs) And so International Women's Day this week, the Muriel Manor Society always goes there and uh, sponsors some of the activities and it'll be in the town hall this year.
2: Well, there you go. And what's your? Have you got um, some role in uh, International Women's Day in Adelaide and
10: today? Oh uh, well, uh, I, I occasionally dress up as Muriel Matters, but I may not do that this week. I'll let other people do that. But uh, we run the Muriel Matters Society in an effort to make democracy important to people and mm. to help them understand how important it is to not only vote but to have an informed vote. Exactly.
2: Now, now, when you say you dress up, did she wear something different or just in the, in the period costume?
10: Yes, yeah, she was a working suffragist, so she wore a, what we call a, a jumpsuit and a very fancy blouse. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and a little straw hat. But uh, we well, now so... have a Muriel Matter, Matter Society Award in every high school so that children and students of the senior years understand that you can be an activist with whatever you do in your own community.
2: Exactly. Uh, well, good on you, Francis, And, um, yeah, good luck with that. Uh, it's nice to dress up, um, I think.
10: <laughs> we, call, we call it cultural tourism, and uh, there'll be a Muriel Matters walk around the city as well because she was one of the early exponents of elocution, and that was very important when there was no amplification. Mm. And then she went on because she could speak very clearly to crowds. She became one of the leading suffragists for the Women's Freedom League.
2: I remember when I was in primary school, and uh, I wasn't in, wasn't involved, but the girls, or some of the girls in primary, this is like in fourth and fifth class, three or four and five, oh. and maybe sixth, they did elocution a couple of afternoons or one afternoon a week, which was sort of funny, and us boys used to laugh and say, oh, what do you, uh, elocution? Well, my but, um, My
10: elocution teacher was the mother of Ken Shorten from it "Can't See Around Corners," so I think I think some boys must have had elocution in their lives.
2: <laughs> oh, so, well, they probably did. You get it. You get it at home. I was always scolded if I said "running" and "going," and uh, I was always scolded. Uh, about...
10: I see. I see that lasted very well, though. Didn't
2: I? <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Not sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, good on you, Francis. Got to fly. Nice to talk to you. But
4: thanks, Mark. Goodbye.
2: Bye. This is the All Over News. Lots of response to our story last week about Wittenham with my friend Mike Broadhurst who lived there as a young boy. Typical is this email from David, David Grace. He says, I was very interested in your discussion with your former work colleague and friend, Mike Broadhurst, who as a young boy lived at Whitnoom for 13 years, 46 to 59. His father was, apparently, the manager of the CSR blue asbestos mine at Whitnoom, and grew up in a small settlement located in Whitnoom Gorge, not far from the township of Whittenum itself. The scenery in this part of Australia is absolutely spectacular and it's no wonder that Michael has fond memories of his childhood. His memories, however, included playing in the asbestos tailings from the mine and the deadly asbestos fibres which cause mesothelioma, a serious disease that has claimed the lives of many people who have lived and worked at Wittenoom. Given the amount of time Michael spent at Whitnum and the nature of his contact with the tailings, both he and his brother were very fortunate, it seems, to have escaped unscathed and unaffected by this disease. I was also fortunate, says David Grace, as I lived and worked at Whittenoom for a time and visited the old mine with its tailing stumps. I worked at Whitnoum in 1968, two years after the asbestos mine was closed down for health reasons. I was employed as a geologist and was part of a small team working for a company that was carrying out exploration for iron ore in the Pilbara. In fact, it was my first job as a geologist after graduating from university in 1967 The team lived and worked in the settlement in Whitnum Gorge, and if my memory serves me correctly, we used the former mine manager's house as an office. Our day-to-day job involved flying over the Hammersley Ranges in a helicopter, mapping and sampling the rock types that we saw. And for a young university graduate, it was difficult to concentrate on your job and not be captivated by the magnificent scenery, particularly the various gorges that we flew over. These gorges looked just as though someone had cut the earth with a knife. The colours in the rocks, the banded iron formations were quite spectacular and unique, particularly in the early morning or late afternoon sunshine. The days were often very hot, and it was pure luxury to cool off in one of the many pools in the gorge after work. Remember when Mike came home from boarding school and he said to his mother and father, Have the creeks come down yet? Anyway, David Grace continues... While I only spent five years working as a geologist, the years I had in Wittenoom and the Pilbara also provided some lasting memories for me. It's a pity that the gorge, with its magnificent scenery, has now been closed off to the general public because of the health risks. The seriousness of asbestosis disease really only became apparent in the 70s and 80s, as more and more people who had worked at Wittenoom and with asbestos generally contracted mesothelioma, and had I known about the issue, I would not have gone to work there. As mesothelioma has similarities with silicosis and silicon disease, it's now being recognised in the same way as a serious lung disease and it's hoped that the authorities will learn from the asbestos experience and act more quickly to help those who have contracted silicosis. Thank you, Maka, says David Grace. A cricket legend, certainly in the district I grew up in, that was the St George District in Sydney, and indeed in Sydney grade cricket and in New South Wales cricket. Warren Saunders passed away the other day after a lifetime of serving the game of cricket. He was a great cricketer, a great captain, and a great administrator. A couple of years ago, a book was launched called Mr St George. It was written by a bloke called John Rogers, and it was about Warren Saunders. And when I was at that function, I came across Steve Bernard, another good cricketer, and I asked him about Warren Saunders and what he meant to the game.
11: Well, as it turned out, it seems I'm the author of the name of the book. Uh, not the author of the book itself, but... John Rogers asked me a couple of years ago about Warren, he was thinking of a book and I said well i always seen Warren as Mr St George and that's how I do see him and you know, from I'm trying to work it out today, it's 48 years since I came down from the country to play cricket in the city and one of my first games was against uh, St George here at Hurstville and uh, my captain at the time Barry Rothwell at Northern Districts told me that he said you're going to have a really uh, interesting game coming up, you're going to play against the best side in Sydney, he said but not only are they the best side, he said they've got fantastic men running them uh, running the club, uh, as in Warren Saunders and Brian Booth and he said they are great to play against on the field he said they're great to uh, mix with off the field so it's always been other clubs I've had a very high opinion of St George because it has been a very well run club over the years, there are a few people who are instrumental in that being the case but I think Warren is probably the one who deserves most credit, Uh, he's been involved with the club for I'd imagine nearly 70 years and he's uh, served at every capacity on and off the field. He's a man respected by everyone who's dealt with him. I think today was a wonderful day just to recognise what he has done for not just St George, but the whole community, in fact.
2: That's Steve Bernard, former first-grade cricketer, played state cricket, and he was manager of the Australian cricket team for a while. Ray Tozer was a St George first-grade wicketkeeper for many years under Warren Saunders. He was a New South Wales selector as well, was Ray. He's on the line this morning. Good morning, Ray Tozer. Good morning, Macca. Nice to talk to you. There's something special about all good leaders, good captains, good whatever, good Prime Ministers. What was it about Warren Saunders, do you think? You watched him for many years. What was it about his leadership, do you think, that stuck?
0: Well, look, I would suggest to you his people skills and man management were a real quality for Warren. I met him when I was a 15-year-old lad, had eight seasons in first grade with Warren, and we had a very strong side in that period. Uh, He was a good leader, we played the win, but we also played fairly. And on and off the fur, once the game was over, we'd have a drink with the opposition and amongst ourselves. And he set a great example, for sure.
2: You played in an era where the Alan Davidsons and the Frank Missons, lots of good, fast bowlers, lots of tough cricket, I'd suggest.
0: Well, I missed though, but I did play against Frank. But they were quality people as well and set an excellent example for young players coming through I think uh, one of the things that stood out—it's always when you win your first first grade premiership—and uh, we're at the SCG, played Cumberland, as I recall, Richie Benno, Dougie Walters, just through you know a great team effort. We happened to get up and win there, and it was good leadership from Warren. He threw the ball to Brian Booth and said, "Let's attack." And Brian had Richie Benno caught at leg slip, in my memory for 99, and Dougie got out for 96 or something, and. They collapsed shortly after that, so we were defending 250, and they didn't get them. And what a great memory!
2: Now, a lot of cricketers, a lot of footballers, a lot of people generally do their job and then they walk away. But Warren has been Steve Bernard said he's probably been involved in 70 or 80 years at St George, and I. And you could probably say that the years after he retired are more important in terms of keeping St George and the club on the on the road than playing days, if you know what I mean.
0: Look, I would agree with Steve. I mean, his contribution was magnificent. The club meant a lot to Warren. He would tell you that in his own way, but his contribution was outstanding and he behind the scenes with other people coming through in the leadership roles, he would be very supportive in his own way without interfering. And I think the standards he set, you know, in sportsmanship, the way you presented yourself were very good and I remember when I first attended a New South Wales Cricket Association meeting as a delegate, and he was on the board at that time, he said to me, when you come in here, you make decisions that are in the best interest of the game, not necessarily St George. And quite frankly, that stuck with me right the way through my administration in sports. The sport's bigger than the individual in any one club.
2: Ray Tazer, great to talk to you this morning. Thank you, Mecca. And as a postscript to the passing of Warren Saunders, he was in the studio here some years ago and I asked him to sing his party piece that someone had told me about. It was, I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles, sung backwards. (laughs) Apparently, when comedian Dawn Lake first heard Warren's rendition, she said, Warren, that's a bloody ripper. All words to that effect. Here it is. Ladies and gentlemen, Warren Saunders... I'm forever blowing bubbles. <laughs> this should have been in the book. Eh? This should have been in the book. <laughs> right. here we go.
11: Bubbles blowing forever, I'm backwards. Bubbles pretty heavy, high so fly they sky reach nearly they dreams fade mine like die they then and fortune's hiding always every looked dive bubbles blowing forever I'm bubbles pretty at the inn. <laughs>
2: Warren Saunders funeral will be at St Declan's Penshurst next Thursday at 11.30 My next guest I had a letter from him years ago his name is Chris Sim and he's written eloquently about all sorts of things where he lived and on the rail lines and he's a I suppose you'd call him almost a train spotter, Um, I'm I'm not sure. He's my guest this morning. Good morning, Chris. Yes, good morning, Ian. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Um, You know a lot about trains, don't you? You've been involved in trains uh, for much of your life, really, ever since a small boy you were train spotting, weren't you?
12: Yes, uh, I suppose you'd call me a a, a somewhat knowledgeable amateur.
2: (laughs) Oh, I don't know about that. Um, You've been uh, looking at trains for a long time. Tell me about um, that line in particular, the one through to brisbane from from Armadale. What do you know about that line and and uh, uh, is there any future for those sort of things? We were talking earlier this morning to one of our uh, correspondents and uh, who was it can 't remember it doesn 't matter. might have been Harry in Tenerfield, was it no it wasn 't him, but it doesn 't matter. Mm. Um, very expensive to re- re-jig train, train lines and they've been ter- ter- turned into, what, uh, bike tracks and things, aren't they, walking? S-
12: yeah, some of them are. Um, that line is, um, of course, the former uh, route from Sydney to Brisbane that uh, was the main route up until 1930. After 1930, the main line to Brisbane was completed between Kyogle and Brisbane, so that was along the north coastline. But prior to that in 1930, if you were going from Sydney to Brisbane by a train, you went, your train went Newcastle, Maitland, Singleton, Musselbrook, uh, you know, Aberdeen, uh, uh, Werris Creek, Tamworth, Armadale, Glen Innes, Tenerfield, and then you got to the border at Wollongara where you walked across the – and that was the end of the standard gauge New South Wales line – and at wallangarra you walked across the platform and got into a narrow gauge Queensland train, like which like yeah, at Albury, like it used to be at Albury, yeah. Uh, and uh, in terms of a change change of gauge, yeah. And uh, so from um, wallangarra your train then proceeded uh, on the Queensland railways up through Stanthorpe, Warwick, Toowoomba, and into Brisbane. It was a um, a fairly long journey. the The one that opened in nineteen thirty was considerably more direct and quicker. Uh, but um, as far as trying to reopen that line, that would be quite a challenge. Um, a lot of the uh, uh, focus about uh, has gone to the Inland Railway and, of course, it branches off the main south down just north of June e, and uses some bits of existing line and using mostly that flat country to the west of the Great Divining Range and um, enabling um, freight... To be uh, transported mm. in very large trains on a fairly straight uh, track with uh, double stacking of containers, which is the way to make uh, freight railways work and um, so to to re to reactivate the line north of uh, Armadale, where where that main old main north line presently ends uh, it'd be hard to make a good um, economic case for that, for it, particularly yeah. in view of the fact that the inland railway is going to be handling all the uh, freight. I'm surprised to learn that the, there's no longer a bus service from Armadale to uh, to uh, Queensland on the New England Highway. I, I well, did... you
2: see, uh, probably a direct bus. You might be... I, I, look, I don't know, but that's mm. uh, it might be... A bus to here, and then we have to change again to get another bus or something. I'm not
12: sure, but um, yeah.
2: Now the line at, uh, uh I was in Byron Bay the other day, um, yeah. and that that doesn't was that is that part of that line from Armidale? No, or that's no? a
12: totally different line. The uh, the line to
2: because that stopped, hasn't it? That stopped. Yes, oh, I don't know. What, Twenty in, years
12: ago, it closed in 2004. That's the branch line yeah. from Casino. Casino was on the main North Coast line, the present main line from Sydney to Brisbane. Uh, so that had been a branch line from Casino that went through Lismore and Bangalore, Byron Bay, Mullumbimby, and up to uh, to And um, the unfortunate thing is, it's a very it's a very long line. It's uh, well over 100 kilometres, and it winds around a bit, which isn't necessarily a problem. But it it got to the point where there was only a passenger train running once a day, which was the XPT. And to maintain a line for just one a long line uh, so, for just one train a day is hard to justify commercially, so the way to reactivate that line would be to get freight back onto it so what
2: you're saying is that passenger services on on train lines aren't won't pay for themselves, and you've got to have freight um, to make make a line pay and absolutely so mm. uh, um, passenger. Freight's going down, is it, uh, on railways? Passenger traffic,
12: yeah. Well, um, I would just comment, though, that um, the uh, one way, and, uh, and this is just an idea, one way of making that a successful freight line would be to finish the final 30 or so kilometres from uh, from Moolambar to Koolangatta, where, of course, the Gold Coast is the second largest city in in Queensland, yeah. has a population of over seven hundred thousand, um, and there'd growing. be a hell of a lot of freight goes yeah. up to um, the Gold Coast from Sydney and Melbourne by road, of course. Mm. And uh, the um, if we could get uh, if we could finish that last thirty kilometres, and I'm not saying it would could be done for twopence halfpenny, but because you'd need a mm. another a new bridge over the Tweed, but it could be done by using the existing line. And, of course, that would be a great benefit to uh, Byron Bay because Byron Bay is being killed by traffic uh, at times yeah. and uh, because the the train no longer runs there. And, of course, a lot of tourists and travellers used to use the train to Byron Bay. Yeah. There is a little um, solar-powered train which runs from uh, uh, Byron Bay to Belongal, just about three or four kilometres, and the idea of that was to try and reduce the amount of car traffic Going yeah. into Byron Bay,
2: I'm talking to Chris Sim, who's a well, he's a he's an amateur, but he's an expert. He's been you've been watching trains since you're a kid, and you know all about them and all those those sort of things. They double stack across the Nullarbor, of course, don't they? Yes. with 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 freight across to Perth and back. Yep. And, and as you from said, Parks,
12: in fact, from Parks West. Yeah, really, so you can start your double stacking at Parks. You can't take double stacking over the Blue Mountains, but you can once you get to Parks. You can double stack, although the new Inland Railway up from the south will be all double stacking, which where parks will be a major junction.
2: The best thing that I ever did, I think, once was I caught the Gold Coast motor rail. Yes. And I, and I put my car on. And exactly. So you kept the train to, you know, and you ended up on Mowillambar or somewhere. I'm That's right. I'm not sure where it and then your you car's there and away you go. You're in Queensland. So.
12: Yeah, well, in those days, the Pacific Highway was a two-lane affair that wandered around all over the place yeah. and it was a very slow journey and uh, there were all sorts of traffic snails, particularly yeah. during uh, holiday periods. So that made the option of putting your car on the train uh, very uh, viable. Right. You saved the money of the fuel getting to, you know, Lismore, Byron yeah. Bay or Mwamba, and, uh Sorry, Muwamba is where they unloaded the cars, I should say. And... Um, you uh, save the fuel and uh, the stress of driving on a narrow road, but of course now there's a multi-lane superhighway yeah. going all the way.
2: I went to um, the Miracle Mile last night out at Menangle, and there was people from all over Australia. Uh, it was the Miracle Mile itself was won by um, Catch a Wave, driven by Kate Gath. Um, All good horses, wonderful horses But there I met a couple of people Come and meet them, Uh, wonderful They were from the Mount Gambier sort of area of uh, South Australia I'm at Menangle Park And with me I have uh, Rex and Kay Hocking Rex and Kay, tell me why you're here
13: uh, we've come to Menangle because 50 years since our horse uh, won the Miracle Mile in uh, 158 four-fifths which was a very smart time in those days and the trotting club invited us back up here and we thought we'd uh, come back to relive a lot of memories and so forth and it's been a great time and so forth and we've thoroughly enjoyed ourselves and uh, Kay has also, it's been great. What's, what was the name of your horse Kay?
14: Our horse was Reichman, mm. we used to call him Rusty and uh, he had... He had a travelling companion, a little uh, Shetland pony named Barney Boogles. And uh, Barney used to travel everywhere with Rusty because he would play up in the float or um, he wouldn't eat. And so Rex would feed Rusty and um, and uh, he'd stand and look at it and little Barney would race in and have a feed. Well, that was it. Now Rusty pushed him out of the way and would eat then.
2: Sounds like no Barney Burgles, no win. That's right, exactly. Yes, yeah. no, he, he was part of the
13: team, yes, yeah. part of the family.
2: Where are you both from?
13: Uh, we're from a little place in South Australia down the southeast called Avenue Range, and that's where Reichman was born and bred and trained and broke in, and that. So uh, we, we're on the farm there, and uh, we're semi retired on the farm and got all
2: these memories. You So you don't breed horses anymore?
14: We don't breed horses anymore. We breed uh, working kelpies. Oh, wow. And uh, we're about to, uh, as soon as we get home, we pack up and head over to Mansfield in Victoria uh, to the Australian Championships.
2: That's right, yeah, I'd love to go to that. And so how long have you been breeding dogs, Rick? Uh, since we stopped
13: the horses. Hmm.
2: Uh, in 1980
13: was the last time I had horses or a licence and that, and... Uh, Bought another farm, we needed some dogs and, and bought a handy dog and uh, we've been breeding dogs ever since and we've uh, sold dogs uh, all overseas and uh, run training clinics and that. So we've been, uh, went from the
2: horses to the dogs. A friend of mine at Nobby in Queensland breeds uh, dogs, yes. uh, Jan, Jan Lowing.
13: Yes, no, Jan, Jan well, I knew Jan well before she went up to Queensland with the
2: dogs and she's got a lovely line of dogs also. Yeah, I suppose it's a bit like the horse game, isn't it? You know the people in the in the game and...
14: Yes, yes, we do. We and we travel all over Australia with our dogs, and we've uh, also been in um, uh, to run dra- training schools in the Netherlands as well. It's a really quite a small world, people with uh, with really good working dogs. So we a bit like the horses, really. You get to know the people that are involved with it, and. And we love it and this has just been so wonderful to come back and meet people who've come up and spoken to Rex that we haven't seen for 40 years and have said, oh, we haven't seen you come on, have a hug, and I'd think, oh dear me. And we haven't aged at all, we still look no, the same. exactly.
13: <laughs> and there's great people, there's a lot of good people about and so forth, and you meet them through the horse sports. It's, it's a great life and uh, we're very fortunate to be involved in both worlds, the dog world and the horse world and that. So, And I've been very fortunate because I've won the big race, Miracle Mile, here, competing in the Dominion, and in the uh, dog world I've been uh, competing in the Australian... Yard dog
2: championships for about
13: and twenty
14: and won the Australian Yard Dog Championship as well. So yeah. and that so but it's
13: it's it's
2: been been fantastic. Yeah, the dog story is a great story now, isn't it? I mean mm-hmm. the dogs do the work of ten men and, and they're going overseas, as you said, yeah. the Netherlands and Lapland. I've seen them with little Coats on with snow yeah, on their muzzles right, and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yes,
13: yeah. And they love it. They just want to want to work. You know, that's that's their uh, that thing in life that the working dog. They just want to work. And and people have got to let them work. You know, people restrict their dogs too much with yeah. the commands and so forth, and get computer dogs. And they've got to let that natural instinct come out. Same with the racing horses. You've got to let them run.
2: Yeah. Well, Rex and Kay, uh, welcome to Sydney. It's nice to see you here yeah. after what 50 years, is it? That's right. Yes. 50 years, isn't that mighty, Reichman? Yes, yeah. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Lovely to see you. Thank you.
14: Thanks. you. Thank you. you, Macca. Thank you. Good to meet you as
13: well. Lovely, Macca. We'll see you at Barnborough.
2: Chris Sims, my guest this morning. Uh, Chris is a train expert. He grew up around Como on the Georges River. Tell me about the shark. There was a shark when we were kids on the Georges, and I grew up in the Georges River. We were always told about these terrible grey nurse sharks and it of course it was an urban myth and grey nurse sharks are just, if you can have a lovely shark, the grey nurse is very very, But we're all told the grey nurse was a terrible and they used to catch them out of the river, and which was a terrible thing, uh, Chris, wasn't it?
12: Well, they're mainly an oceanic uh, shark, the grey nurse. And, uh, of course, um, they had the rotten bad luck that they looked like a savage shark, mm. but they're not. And um, they were almost exterminated in a similar way to the thylacine being exterminated in Tasmania, mm. supposedly for taking sheep. Well, that and turned out to be a fallacy. But, but certainly the, the, the dangerous sharks in the rivers are the bull sharks. And um, you, we at Como, of course, uh, like uh, Oakley, there were net, is it, netted swimming enclosure in the river. Uh, and, and these are making a big comeback now. There's several new ones open up around Sydney Harbour. And it's so much nicer to swim in salt water mm. than uh, in those chlorinated pools. And um, but yes, you have to be um, wary of them. And um, tell us
2: about that shark attack. That yes, well talking. that was
12: just a bit before I was born, but uh, that was at Oatley Bay, which is on the Kyle Bay side of Oatley, and there was a um, a netted swimming enclosure there. But it was um, used to uh, at low tide. It was wasn't very attractive. Uh, it was very muddy. So this particular very hot day, uh, a fellow and his 11-year-old daughter, they'd gone to a spot uh, about 100 metres away from the um, netted swimming area because it was low tide, and there was a jetty there and a boat ramp, and um, so the chap, uh, they, him and his daughter, they just waded into into the water up to, you Went know... Went for a paddle. Just <clears throat> up to about their knees or so, and, you know, a million to one, million, a billion to one, a uh, bull shark just took the... 11-year-old girl's leg straight off and um, the uh, father you know he'd driven to this jetty in his car and he threw the girl into the car and they drove off to the hospital as fast as he could but of course she died of shock and blood loss and um, but these attacks by sharks are so rare you know we had that dreadful incident at Malabar yeah a bit over a year bay. ago but, yeah. Uh, yeah but when you look at the uh, the odds of it happening it's very rare but in the rivers the bull shark is the one that we have to be very careful of we didn't call them bull sharks no uh, bronze whalers are they yes that's what i believe mm. uh, there are certainly that term bull shark i never heard that until i was no. well mm. into my 40s yeah and uh, it was just a matter of um, standardizing the name of the shark yeah. all around the world yeah. uh, but um yeah they they got to keep an but they once again you'd have to be very unlucky to be Taken
2: by one? Um, stay tuned for our podcast today. There's lots of lovely things on the program today. We'll try and include them in our podcast, including the uh, Warren Saunders sing- singing I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles Backwards. Chris has been my guest, and thanks for coming in, Chris. Chris, you were—you told me you were an opportunity school kid. So, the opportunity schools when you're in about what fifth or sixth class? Yeah, fifth that's fifth it. class. You, that was at Hursville yeah. because you're brighter than the rest, or whatever. You,
12: I think I cheated on the uh, oh, did on you? The, on the IQ test. Yeah. <laughs> so
2: we, we had a couple of kids in our class. I remember at Oakley West uh, who went who were. Who were going to go to opportunity school, but they didn't go. They stayed in. Uh, they stayed in our class. But uh, what was it like at opportunity school? Did you? And what did you end up doing as a gig?
12: Yeah, well, uh, certainly um, it was uh, quite different to you know the average school. <laughs> we used to, for example, uh, or maybe four times a year, we would be taken to a symphonic uh, recital at the town hall. Bit of and, culture. And yep. there'd be kids from all the private schools. And uh, you know, and it was quite uh, spectacular to be in there. The Sydney Symphony Orchestra, of course, would be uh, for a, playing for, various. For a kid from Como, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, and it was, um, um, you know, I think uh, it was. A, I don't know. I don't know whether, to be honest, my little school at Como West was so good. So was mine. We, we were taught things that kids today weren't aren't taught. We were taught how to how to spell properly and how to make <laughs> yes. a sentence and, and we, all
2: we, our we were taught gado. i uh, I remember my fourth class teacher, Mr. Mr. Ayres. He was a dude and he was reading away all boats and um uh, the the novels of the time and he told us about that. He taught us Gaudé amas igotur uh, um, and I loved music, so I learned to sing that and all those sort of things, which you need at school, I think. Yeah, there's extra apart from. Your times table and stuff?
12: I I treasure the general knowledge I was taught at Camo West. Um, primary school um, you know even when we were you know in when, uh, when we were in third and second classes we were taught so much about the geography of australia for and example. we had
2: we had pop taylor who was a gallipoli mm. veteran and uh, mm. and he'd take us for bushwalks and mm. just great great times at primary school but mm. i was just interested because i you know i thought mm. well, what did, what did i miss out by not going to opportunities no to school? no
12: you didn't miss anything and uh, you know we even knew how to to write could've, could have could apostrophe, V-E, instead of writing could of, O-F, which is a ludicrous way to, to write it. But they get away with it today. They're not taught. No. And it's not the kids' fault, and it may not even be the teachers' fault. It may be the people who set the curriculums, uh, you know. It's got to be someone's fault, Chris. Yeah, We've got to blame someone. Yeah, <laughs> for sure.
15: Is that MacArthur, Brian? G'day, Brian. Cross Harbour. Yep. I like to talk about diving in the manta rays in the Maldives. I'm talking about... Uh, restored Trains in New South Wales. Yeah, go. The Royal Matters Society um, brings up the Red Rattler to Coffs Harbour for almost a month in January mm. and does four or five trips, fully booked kids and parents, mm. Coffs Harbour Station. Um, and obviously, you know about the Red Rattler. Yep. It's basically 968. But they're also part of the New South Wales Rail heavy's Network. Mm. But you can rent the trains, you can um have tours, and so forth. And, yeah, amazing experience. And, obviously, it's been organised every year by Neil Manson that worked on the council at part owner of the Observatory Partners. He's also a member of this rail Society. He brings them up as part of the destination in New South Wales for tourism in Coffs Harbour. But there's a trip, basically, that's called the Five Tunnels Trip. that goes from Coffs to Caramba, and they, they, every tunnel they go through, they turn the lights out, and the kids just all go off, basically. Go. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> picnics, it's, it's amazing. Oh, it's, lovely
2: thing to do. Now these these are because uh, I read that you we were tr- electric trains. We all travelled yeah. to school on uh, electric they're, they're trains.
15: Yeah, diesel now. It's diesel. Yeah,
2: they're diesel. There you go.
15: But, but I, I remember years ago, and you'd know there was a Tamworth train that went also to Parks, and it was a liverboard. Yeah. The guy's name was Arthur Arthur Coxon. Arthur, I got quite close to, but ran out of funding years ago. But he took me to. The rail graveyard at Rutherford out of Cessnock, and all these old trains were just sitting there. And it's like the, I suppose the airplanes out of uh, out of America, but um, you could actually buy a train, which obviously Arthur had at least a train. But this Royal Rails Motorcycle is based out of Patterson, which is also out of the Hunter Valley. But uh, it's it's big time in terms of.
2: Uh, and people have done that, haven't they? they? They've they've bought a train or a carriage and put it in their backyard if they've got a backyard <laughs> big enough or on a farm and. Um,
15: maybe maybe, you, maybe you, you can talk
2: to Lee and Lee can do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, see, we were talking with with uh, our guest uh, Chris, Chris Sim, and uh, oh, about no. trains and and people tend not to travel as much on trains, but but weekend stuff like you're talking about. and I know in in Victoria, there's train trips all the time. People love to travel on the weekend and have to do a trip between wherever yeah, uh, down across down the Victorian to... network. And yeah. Um, but, but
15: this, this train macro is booked out for the whole of January, like four or five trips a day. Yeah. And and it's amazing talking to the you know, the families. Most of these kids have never been on a train, yeah? yeah. Like we did. We we went to school on a train and yeah. I was talking to Luke Bailey the other day about what what he got up to and he lived in the northern beaches, but his mates actually made one of those keys. You could lock the carriages and they <laughs> lock themselves in the carriages on the trains <laughs> you can have a party. <laughs>
2: Everybody had, kids had, we had fun on the trains, didn't you? You found the, you know, the I guards, you can get in the guards compartment when he wasn't there and muck around and do all sorts of stuff. It was, uh. I
15: remember catching the train from, they lived in banks down to Punchbowl Boys High every day and we'd just hang out the doors and it wasn't electric doors, they were just, we'd just hang no, out. And, yeah. <laughs> unbelievable stuff. stuff.
2: Got on you, Brian. Uh, you're in Coffs this morning.
15: Yeah, living in Coffs. How was,
2: uh, how was it there this morning? It's
15: paradise. at most times it's a beautiful day. I've just been down to the beach at Macaulay's. All right, sunrise. that's enough.
2: Yeah, we don't want to hear anymore. more. Yeah, off you go. Um, and, and
15: <laughs> we've, 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 we've also got, Michael, We've got the Southern Cross University um, uh, Marine Biology on the beach at Charlesworth, which is a, a up and going, around like a Sea World. All right. we have the the Solitude Islands where we do our diving. I'm a diver as well. Out of jetty dive, basically. So, did you say well, you, certainly... you
2: did you say you swum with the the manta rays in in the Maldives?
15: Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's just one of the things I've done. Yeah, and <laughs> and the Great Barrier Reef and Tahiti and uh, everywhere else around the world, basically. So, not just manta rays, but just amazing. Oh yes, I've, I've only seen them on that. I, I remember, I remember going to PP Island in Thailand for two weeks, and I was diving every every twice a day, which you do when you're a diver, and then. One day I had a day off and we're doing night dives and they took a group out of people getting their Open was Certificate and guess what happened? Um, um, I went right through the middle of the group. I missed out <laughs> that one I? Just cruised on through. <laughs> it was a night dive. It would have freaked them out, I tell you what. Basically. Wow. <laughs> and and the only day I didn't go diving, I didn't go diving. Honestly.
2: Good on you, Brian. Have a good day, Macker. See you, mate. Bye.